Lock it in. There's like someone drilling next door to me right now. Can you hear yeah. me? Congratulate them on the set. This is the Basketball Buzz. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Logic and reason. With Zach Harper. Oh man, if you put Gordy in Atlanta, we can kiss Waz goodbye from Los Angeles. <laughs> Big Waz. Christine's beautiful words about pop are the best advertisement for the CIA I've ever heard in my entire life. Funny, I've seen the machine in the basement of Madison Square Garden churning out hundred dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, this isn't for we. This is a you know lifetime achievement award. <laughs> right now, I've been wanting to say that for a long time. I'm just going to tell you what I think. I, I don't think it's inconsistent. You've been popped, right? Y- yes. <laughs> he may have big bones, but he doesn't have big meniscus. What? Why would I wear pants or shorts or anything? Everyone does well when you have good results. Produced by Jade Hoy. My mic is on. Yes, it's on. This is a journey into sound. The mecca of basketball. <laughs> knows if you go back in time don't do anything the ramifications can be quite severe a journey which along the way will bring to you new color new dimension new day what's up buddy welcome to the basket buds edition of the back-to-back podcast on the athletic podcast network i'm zach harper that's wasdy lambre we've got rich hoffman we've got uh plus we got fred matt katz Matt Fred oh, no. no? Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> and we've got the esteemed Michael Lee join us today. Of course, we are recapping Sunday night's episodes five and six of the Last Dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls. But really, it's a documentary about Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael, we'll go to you first. Is uh, is the security guard who beat Michael in a game of quarters the star of the Last Dance so far? Or is it still Michael Jordan? No, he's the star of the entire series. He's the best thing that I've seen. I mean, to see this guy, you know, this white dude with a jerry curl just bust Michael, but not even just beat him. He did. He hit him with the shrug, and then he then Michael started complaining like, "Oh, so you like to roll his quarters up against the wall?" He rolled it. He said, "Yeah, I like to roll this money in my pocket." I was like, "Yo, <laughs> this is a West Side hustler up in here." So. For real, that dude, I, it was amazing. I think it was also great that we had a story on him the very next morning, right. John Michael Wozniak. Yeah. That's it. Wozniaks incredible... are usually just, you know, Woz fans, but this time it's a it's a last name. You know what the funny part of that? Citizens of, of, of planet Wozniak. Yeah, I, lo- I love Woz. My favorite part of that is it's not even the shrug. It's that Jordan's sitting there afterwards, and he's like, go guard the United Center. Right, like it's just like like go do your job. <laughs> no more horsing around and taking my money. Right, right. I mean, a lot of that, a lot of five and six were on um, the competitive addiction that Michael Jordan seems to have. It's not a gambling addiction, guys. It's a competitive drive, I guess. Uh, a lot, of, a lot made about the stuff with uh, this guy Slim. What's la- what's Slim's last name? Does anybody remember? Um, uh, Bowler. Bueller, Bowler, yeah, Slim Bowler, yeah. I believe. Slim Bowler, Slim Bowler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Slim Bowler is a giant, right? Isn't that the guy from New Mexico State or whatever? That was the seven yeah, foot five. Yeah, Slim Bowler. Yeah, right. Yeah, Slim Bowler is uh, is a guy that um, Rich. I just wouldn't gamble with anyone ever named Slim. I think it's a terrible idea. No, and I also wouldn't gamble with somebody who looks that at ease in their uh, courtroom sketch. Because, I mean, he was just chilling, basically, when he was dealing with that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing to me about Michael Jordan is that even when he's so burnt out from 
all of this crazy media attention from trying to win a championship three times in a row, having all the pressure in the world, he's still finding time to play 36 holes of golf with somebody named Slim Buller. And uh, that's how he deals with it. You have to do it. Zach, you, you never gamble with someone whose name is a physique. You just never I agree because like <laughs> slim, slim, shub, tiny, shub, giant, fat. Yeah, those are all pool all sharks, that, right? Out. Card sharks, yeah. pool shark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's always a it's always a bad idea. Anyone who's big or tiny or anything, you just don't do it. So or what, pretty Tony. Pre, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Anything about someone's physique <laughs> as a nickname, you can't do it. Um, Especially what? when it's not true, when it's like tiny and it's a huge right. guy. Oh, yeah. Too, that's, yeah. yeah, that's a fat dude named Slim. Yeah, exactly. Then you'd really have to get out of there. Um, was what was it? Was the gambling the biggest takeaway from Sunday night? Man, uh, not for me. The biggest takeaway is the candor of the doc. Uh, I think we all um, were worried that this might become a Michael Jordan infomercial. And I think it's been the opposite, honestly, because if if you listen to Mike's own feeble attempts to defend his, his, um, his behavior where he talks about, I mean, my wife hasn't left me. Oh, Mike, you're remarried. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's... Yes, she did. <laughs> like if you actually listen to, cause he's actually, cause like he actually feels like he did nothing wrong. And so therefore he's speaking frankly about his, opinions of his own actions and behaviors and i think it's very telling where he's like well you know i haven't gone broke so there's nothing wrong with what i'm doing my wife hasn't left me it's like you get a window into mike's thinking and it's very illuminating or it felt very illuminating to me like the idea that mike got to speak for himself and defend these actions like i don't think he was quite johnny cochran in his defense that's just my opinion you know what i'm saying like that's what i took away from it yeah. the most yeah michael where, what did you what did you take out of that because it it's funny like i so I, I have a friend who used to like do online poker this is obviously a long time ago but did online poker as like his only job and income right and there was a certain point where we tried to like kind of have an intervention with them and be like, yo, you've got a problem. Like you have a gambling problem. And he, and the, like his rationalizations for it were always like, you guys don't understand poker. If you think it's gambling and stuff. like, he always had a spin for it. And that, like I had flashbacks to that when Michael's saying, I don't have a gambling problem. I, you know, I have a competitive drive or whatever, right. I have a, you know, a hunger for competition. I'm like, okay, this just sounds like, and look, it's very serious to call someone an addict. So I'm not trying to do that flippantly. That's how it came off to me though. Well, yeah, I mean, especially when you think him saying, I can quit at any time. Yes, that's, that's like what the, they say, that's, right? That's the ultimate addict, you know, comment. Like, oh, I don't really need this stuff. I just do it just because it's fun. You know, it's like, no, man, you are hooked. Like, this is this is what you, you this is what dragging you down. And I think his sense of denial and all that, I think that sort of gave him justification to keep doing it. You know, I think that's sort of how he had to convince himself um, that, it, you know, that he, he wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue because he was always in control, always, you know, the guy that, you know, on the court, you know, everyone looked to, to, to hit the big shot. I think in life, that was one aspect that he couldn't control. And I think it spiraled out of control in a lot of ways and it became an embarrassment for him. Um, and one that he couldn't, he couldn't control the narrative narrative in that situation. I think he wanted to strike back, but I think in the process he, he made himself look a little bit worse. Um, but again, we all have vices. We all have things that, you know, kind of hold us, and I think that's the beauty of this documentary. I know a lot of people have been critical of it and feel like it's just Mike trying to, you know, paint this picture of himself. But 
he's really exposing himself to some of his character flaws and some of his weaknesses, which in documentaries like this, most time guys don't, aren't willing to do that. So I actually admire him for taking control of it, addressing it. You may believe it or you may not, but I, uh, I, I, I like the fact that <laughs> my favorite quote of that, that those, those documents documentaries uh, from Sunday was when I think uh, Connie Chung was interviewing him and asking him, you know, if, you know, how he felt about it, you know, it's, you know, doing damage to his brand or image. And he's like, why? Because I'm not the purest of the pure. And it's like, yeah, like you could tell he pushed back a little bit on the whole be like Mike thing. Cause there was a lot of audacity to tell people to, Hey, if you want to be great, be like me, you know, like to actually come out and say it. I don't think I've ever seen a guy market himself in that fashion. And you could tell that he, it was wearing him out. So I think that yeah. in a lot of ways it was him pushing back. Yeah. Fred, do we think that this is, this is the stuff that Michael was worried about when he said he's, you know, he thinks people may look at him in a different light, you know, before this thing came out. Um, and it, through the first four episodes, it was kind of like, kind of like, really, this is what you're worried about? Like, this is nothing. Like, we love you. This is great. And then this episode hits, and I do wonder if this is what is expected to be the worst of that image. I, I assumed, and I, I, to be clear, I haven't seen, I've only seen the episodes that are public. I'm not one of the special people who's seen the first eight episodes, but I, I assumed. When he was talking about that, I've just assumed that he's talking about the Jerry Krause bullying and that kind of stuff, or even like the 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 wild competitiveness, which which I would say borders on the side of competitive, like the Tony Kukoc stuff, where it's like they just went at Tony Kukoc, and I would say that's just being a a wild kind of psychopathic competitor and nothing more than that. But it also makes him look kind of crazy, right? And make Scotty Pippen look kind of crazy to be that psychopathic about being competitive. So I I more thought he was talking about that, especially the Jerry Krause stuff to me cuz we we know about the gambling, right? We we know about a lot of these other things. It's it's already out there, but I just thought the behind the scenes stuff with Krause was kind of more eye-popping cuz or maybe we're just kind of more knowledgeable because we we live this stuff, but I assumed it was the stuff that we just hadn't even seen yet, you know? Rich, what about for you? Is is this the stuff that you expect to be the worst of it or or are do we have another layer of like him bullying Scott Burrell in practice that's going to come through? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, also him calling Scott Burrell an alcoholic on camera. That, like, I was I, like, we kind of got a glimpse of maybe a peek into that part of it um, at the end of episode four, where I was like, "Ooh, I don't know about this," and then it turns out it's much worse. Scott Burrell should have just been like, "My wife hasn't left me. I'm fine." <laughs> <laughs> so there were a few things in the uh, second batch of episodes where it was just like. You know, I, I think he kind of glossed over a little bit how he treated Scottie Pippen due to that migraine, just the kind of like smaller off court stuff that, like you guys were saying, links into the crazy competitiveness, nothing crazy. Yeah, I think these last two episodes were a step in the right direction where he was, you know, he's pretty honest both about the gambling. I, I think it was funny the scene with the, uh, the security guard with the Jerry curl, the, the legend, I, I thought it was funny because a lot of the times you hear about Michael Jordan gambling, you hear about, you know, it being rigged where he talks to uh, the guy who runs the scoreboard and all those things. He was terrible at that quarter game and he still wanted to do it, which was pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, so, so that was good. And then the, um, you know, the political stuff as well, where he was, I thought he was pretty open about that stuff. So yeah, you know, I think for the for the most part, these two episodes were 
a pretty good step in it being, you know, a pretty straightforward documentary. Um, obviously, the stuff about the Republicans wear shoes too, right? Um, he claims it was a flippant remark on a bus, and it it might have been, right? But I still think his sentiment throughout his actions, Michael, um, kind of backed up that flippant comment. And honestly, I could use a three-hour documentary on that whole thing. On like the history of North Carolina, Jesse Helms, you know Harvey Gant, all this. I could I could use an entire three hour documentary on that and Michael Jordan as like kind of this almost ancillary piece, on, you know, within or figure within that whole story. Um, but that part, you know, it's hard to get in get it all into it in a segment. Um, I still thought it was pretty powerful that Obama's coming out here and saying like basically like I was disappointed. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't, I, and, I, and I say this in the in the sense that I think everybody looked at Michael <clears throat> to be more than what he could have been, and I think that you know, like look at Muhammad Ali, look at Jim Brown, look at all these other, you know, Bill Russell, and that that was in them to be socially active. Um, when the issues that were hitting them, they were personal for them. They were really um, about the oppression of them at that time. It's not just that they were you know sitting in some separate area as black men and they weren't being affected. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, yeah, he, uh, he fought against the Vietnam war, but it affected him personally because he was being drafted to be involved in it. So of course he's going to be involved in that way. And I think a lot of people sort of take us, don't really look at it in that sense, but also they were, they were willing to go out there and do it. If Michael wasn't sincere with any of his political beliefs or any of his, you know, issues that he wanted to get behind, we would see that and we would, Probably make this it probably makes the situation worse because we will blast him for not actually being genuine. And you got to look at just when Michael was becoming a star, the only people, black people, who were really able to make their way into American homes and to make people feel comfortable with a black person in their home was like Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson. Okay, so Michael Jordan is doing this and opening up this path to where he's just trying to be a great basketball player and be accepted by a mass audience. And yeah, there's a lot of things you can say. Yeah, he should have stepped out. He should have, you know, been more active. But his goal was to ball out on the court and at the bank. And if you ask him to be more than that and, and, and demand more of him, then he loses track of what made him great in the first place. It wasn't because he, you know, was able to speak out for social issues because yeah. he could jump from the free throw line. Right. Yeah. Waz, what do you do with that? Because I think there's some credence to what Michael said what Michael Lee's saying here. Um, I think there's some credence to what Jordan said, but I also look at it as like, I don't know. You don't want someone to say something just to say it, even if they're a powerful figure, but at the same time, it does feel a little hollow for him not to say it. Like, I don't, maybe it's a lose, lose situation. I don't know what you do there, but, um, but it's also like, you see some athletes now, and I'm not going to name any names, but some athletes now come out for social causes and, and it, and it's, it feels like they're doing it just to because they feel they have to, not because they feel passionate about it. Yeah, I'm of, man, so many minds with this because, and I'm actually um, working on something in, like, in reference to this. Actually, Fred and John actually inspired me the other night to to try to put some shit on pen and paper, with pen and paper. But it's it's tough, like... To me, activism is a calling, right? Like no different than ministry or no different than for a lot of people, journalism, quite frankly, right? Um, So it's hard for me to say Mike needs to be thrust upon this. This shit needs to be thrust upon Mike to, you know, speak out 
politically and socially when, you know, at the same time, I'm like, this guy's an athlete, right? Like he's not well, he's probably not well read or well understood in, in a lot of these topics. Right. But, you know, and to a certain extent, a guy is thoughtful and as smart as Mike, it wouldn't take much for him to come to an understanding about a lot of these issues. And I think what we're talking about here is what often faces black athletes that their white counterparts, quite frankly, don't have to deal with or contend with is like, you have this dual responsibility. Like it's not just go out there and be great at whatever your chosen craft is. You carry the weight of an oppressed, a historically oppressed people in this country, right? Like, you know, I, I think about Joe Burrow winning the Heisman and going out of his way to talk about poor white people in that in that town that he um, grew up in in Ohio, and a way that like first of all, <laughs> whether you're poor or rich, if you're white and you make it, you're not expected to speak directly to the issues that afflict the people that of where you come from. Right. Straight up, nobody asks that of you. Nobody cares. And then Joe Barrow uses his biggest moment, his biggest platform to do it, and it didn't get that much news. Like, honestly, like, nobody pretty much cared in the media that he did it. There was no backlash. There was no, oh, God, stick to sports. There was none of it. It was mostly ignored, right? Um, and, of course, Joe Burrow's not Michael Jordan. I just think, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling, but, like, I don't, like, I feel like I'm being condescended to when people tell me they like Kendrick Lamar's music because he's, quote, unquote, talking about something. Like, the elitist in me is like, fuck that dude, I can read a book. But at the same time, like, <laughs> at the same time, like, I do, I, like, I feel like it is Mike's duty to say something. And to Mike's credit, as he's gotten older, he's found his own ways to be active politically. He did back Obama very early, right? Like, when even people in the Black Congressional Congress was, was backing Hillary still. He backed Obama. He backed Hillary in 2016. Um, you know, he spoke up. Um, for LeBron, when people were telling him to just shut up and dribble, he's like, I respect LeBron's, you know, ability to talk freely as an athlete and all these things. So he's done it very gradually. So I think, you know, long answer short, like he's come to the realization that he should be stepping the hell up and saying things. I mean, he also it was also just a, it was a different environment in general. Right. Like Le LeBron talking about all this stuff, all the all politics in a public light and Stephen Curry doing it and so many other athletes today doing it is is more of a modern phenomenon of the last 15 years for a million different cultural reasons. Like when Jordan was doing it, it's not like tons of other athletes of of all colors were talking about politics all the time. The world wasn't quite as, you know, our country wasn't quite as politicized as as so many things are today. And sports weren't talked about talked about in conjunction with politics quite as much and athletes weren't coming out and and being active quite as often obviously there were people who were like Muhammad Ali who they talked about but it wasn't like today where you have NBA players talking about politics and that kind of stuff that's that's very much something of like Adam Silver's NBA more so than it was of David Stern's NBA in the 80s and 90s so it's just it's a different it's a different environment and think about the financial security of today's athlete Think of the fact that LeBron makes thirty million a year just from That's basketball and makes another seventy million off the court. I mean, sure. if you're making, you know, a hundred million dollars a year, who can touch you? My, at the time Michael was being asked to do these things, he's making two or three million a year, which is a lot at that time. But it's not the point where he could just rest comfortably and never have to work again. Like 
with the guys, the money they're making now, you know, they can they can ex- expand their platform to be, you know, as outspoken on whatever they want because brands are going to always want to be affiliated with them and they're going to want to be, be associated with them. With Michael, they could have ran away yeah, but, and found but, somebody but else. Michael, at the, at the time, isn't it also fair to say, like, he had so much power as a brand? I'm not saying they couldn't take it away from him if they wanted to, and, I, and I'm sure that was a very real threat, but he also did seem to be beyond powerful, at least for an athlete. Maybe maybe yeah. I'm being naive and, and misremembering it because I was you know I was a child at the time, but like he was bigger than everything. He was, but again, like I said, he didn't want to do it. Yeah, you know, like right. Magic Johnson did it, Isaiah Thomas did it. You know, a lot of you know guys who were big time stars in the era, they did things. You know, they did you know raise money, like you know Magic did the uh, Magic's um, it's his summer basketball for United Negro College Fund. He did that every summer. Michael played in that. He participated in that type of stuff. But he wasn't the leader of, of doing that. You know, I think the one thing he said about, you know, the whole thing was, you know, he, he was all about setting and meeting goals. And then he said, if it inspires you, great. I'll continue to do that. And if it doesn't, maybe I'm not the one you should be following. And I, I just that, that, that hit me really hard because it's like, yeah, like he's he's there to inspire you for what he does, his athletic achievements on the court. If you want him to inspire you in other areas, then try to seek it from somewhere else, because this is what his gift is. You know, it's the same way, like, you know, just because you can play music doesn't mean that you can, you know, speak out on things either. Like whatever your gift is, be great at that gift and let that be the inspiration. If you can play music and speak out on these issues and play basketball and speak on these issues, then more more power to you. Sure. But I mean, I, I'll say this as, as like and I just throw this as an example. I remember interviewing a player a couple of years ago. Um, I don't want to say his name, but he wanted to speak out on, you know, uh, police brutality. He wanted to talk to me about it. And we sat, we did the interview and I actually said, you know what? This is not going well. Like this is not what he thinks this is going to turn out to be. This is going to really hurt him in a lot of ways. And I didn't write it. And I don't know if he knows it. But I protected him from it because he would have gotten the type of backlash that would have really, really hurt him yeah. in a lot, a lot of ways. And so I think sometimes I think but I think he was doing it because he felt, felt he had to as opposed to it actually being in him. And I think that's that's sort of where you got to kind of draw the line in some ways. If it's in you and you're passionate about it, feel free to, to do it. But if it's not, <laughs> people are going to really poke holes at you. And it's always best to be criticized for what you are than what you aren't. Yeah, I, and you know I, what I think I, is I, happening too, Zach, is up? that people have a hard time seeing flaws in guys like Michael. Like they, like they, it's hard for people to accept that somebody who could be so ridiculously great could be so like elite could have flaws. I think people have trouble understanding it. Like this dude is flawed. Like he's not perfect. Like he's not the most courageous person in the history of the world. Like all of those things when people talk about testicular fortitude and clutch and stones and this, like coming out and speaking out and putting, you know, your financial future at peril um, to speak up, you know, on behalf of social issues, that shit takes courage. Michael Jordan didn't have the courage. And it's hard for people to understand, like, you know, rejecting right, because he's the like, most courageous like basketball status. player, right? Or basketball right. player. Like, he, like right. he wanted to go out there and, and right. show you he could do anything. And so then you expect him to do everything, I guess. But, but to reject stuff like status and money and richness and wealth and, you know, a seat at the table at certain places, like, that stuff 
takes courage. <laughs> like, you can't be scared. You know, you have to be fearless in the face of that kind of stuff. Not everybody possesses that. And that's what everybody's like. I think that's what everybody's missing here is like, yes, Michael Jordan is incredible at what he was doing, but he's not some perfect, he's not a God figure, dude. He's just a human yeah. being. And we can accept that, right? Like we can be, like we're allowed to be disappointed in Mike. We're allowed to like maybe have our feelings about this guy that we put on a perch cut down a little bit. He's not perfect. He's not perfect. And I, and th that's what I really re respect about the doc mostly, man, is that the guy spoke his mind and we're allowed now to feel how we want, dissect it, and, you know, cut him down a peg. I like, honestly, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so, Rich, I was well, I thought about this during his his doc because I saw on Twitter where people were like he had 30 years to come up with this explanation. Right. For like the the political stuff. And and they're like, that's the best he can come up with. Uh, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe that was the safest way to present it on on a documentary that he's a part of, uh, whatever. But I also like I immediately thought of the Houston Astros where they had a month to come out, you know, get their story straight with the whole cheating thing. And granted, these are two very different things, but that's it's what I thought of where I was like, all right, the Astros had a month to come up with this thing and they completely blew the PR of it. Right. Like they had a month behind closed doors to come up with a message and they completely blew it. Mike had 30 years for that. And I don't know that he blew it, but there were a lot of people that weren't satisfied. And I do wonder if we just assume the obligation of you're powerful, you have to you have to be this person. Yeah, I, I think just looking back to when he did not uh, choose to speak up on, on some of those issues, I don't think he could properly understand, you know, how that would be looked at. 20 years from then, you know, he's kind of looking at his, you know, financial present. And I think Mike Michael's point about his player salary is a good one because I think most of the money he was making at that point, which was more than anybody was from his off court endorsements. And, you know, I think l literally everybody knows the line Republicans buy sneakers too. I, that took on a life of its own. And yeah, I, I just think his answer, while it was not satisfying to a lot of people, myself included, I, I think the fact that he even was willing to answer it kind of, you know, it's like Waz says, it, it allows you to make your own judgments on the guy. And and even if it is not, you know, a, a great answer or something that really it explains why he didn't do it in, in some way, some ways, um, I think that's enough. And the fact that he was willing to even talk about it, I was uh, I was somewhat imp I was impressed and a little bit surprised by. Fred, do we buy then if all right, if we're if we get this story from Mike, right, do we then buy the story that he's not the one who kept Isaiah off the dream team? Because he, he even says at one point, he's like, look, if you want to put it on me, I guess put it on me. But, you know, all these other guys had problems with him, too, which may be true, but it still feels like Michael was the reason that Isaiah wasn't on the dream team. You know what? I believe it. Really? I, I, what? Yeah. I I just don't <laughs> believe it. Wait, hold on, Fred. Before you go in, go go through <laughs> that though. Um, Wilbon just tweeted a correction of what he said. I know. He said it wasn't nine guys. For whatever that's worth, which sounds to me, and I think that's what you're getting at, Fred, is double speak from Kat. <laughs> like, nah, Zeke, of course. I would have loved for you to be there. You crazy? And then behind closed doors, yeah, I'm good off of Zeke. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's my theory. I just don't think anyone needed to say anything. It's not exactly. like everybody thought they were best friends mm -hmm. going into it. Mm -hmm. And I... Mm. I, so my theory, if you're Rod Thorne, you're putting together the 1992 Dream Team, you know no matter what, no matter whether you choose 
Isaiah or not, or Clyde Drexler or not, or you put Larry Bird on there or not, whatever it is, no matter who you choose, you are going to have the most talented basketball team ever put together, no matter who your your guys at the edge of the roster are, or even your guys at the front of the roster. Like even if Jordan's not there, it's still the most talented team ever. The only way that you are not going to meet your goal of just destroying everybody else in the world is if everybody just hates each other and it implodes from the inside. And if there's a guy who you know that not just Michael Jordan doesn't like, but a lot of other people have problems with, and you kind of have him on the edge, he's already been in the league for like 11 years and he's in his 30s, and you're just kind of thinking like, okay, do we take this guy who everybody's going to get along with and is going to get the most out of everybody at practice? Or do we take this guy who could, for all we know, end up getting into fights with people at practice? Which one do you think they're going to choose? Like it wasn't a secret. So I just don't even think it needed to be said. I feel like it's just kind of an unspoken thing and you just take care of it and and they consider it the intuitive decision. So I actually believe it, but I, I don't believe it because Michael genuinely wanted him there. I just believe it because I don't think it's a thing that anybody needed to say at any point because it just seems like the intuitive choice. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you I don't know if you bring Isaiah in or if you just have him, you know, uh, cut from the team, you know, in a preliminary fashion, but you know where you won't get cut. You won't get cut with Manscaped, everybody. Oh, if you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes mm. clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Waz, I know you love Manscaped. I just got the Lawnmower 3.0. Oh, my goodness. I've it's never incredible. seen technology like this before. It's incredible. You get a close shave. It's not uncomfortable. You're not nicking yourself. You're not pricking yourself. Just a really close shave that'll last you, depending on your hairiness, for weeks or days. Yeah. Um, I happen to not be that hairy. I know that's very personal information. Fantastic but, information. You know, I just felt like this was the 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 square to to share that on. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's perfect. And I think um if if this is not something you've ever been in the practice of, it's one of those things that'll change your life. I compare it to the first time I wore tapered jeans. Yeah. I was like, I don't need that much denim. <laughs> and then I never went back. I never looked back. I've been wearing tapered jeans ever since. I think you'll have a similar experience oh, man. with Manscaped once you use it, dude. Oh, man. I, I, I had Manscaped on my own before. Did it with the Manscaped technology. It's it's a whole different world. It's absolutely a whole different world. It's the third whole generation. Whole different ball game, Whole isn't it? different balls game indeed, Was Third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free. Not New York Nick, but Nick Free, thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. You know what else I got from them? Anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Was I've never been more pristine. And I know you and I know you will be too. Our listeners get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one. But two free gifts. You get the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. So you can just be head-to-toe, completely Manscaped, and and just loving it. Absolutely. You go to Manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Speaking of a close shave, a lot of close shaves in those uh, those playoff battles with the New York Knicks, guys. We talked about the gambling earlier, but Fred, this, uh, this Knicks situation, down 0-2. You go to Atlantic City. You get hammered by Connie Chung in the media 
for gambling, for stories in the paper about you gambling. You bring Ahmad Rashad into it. You make sure you wear sunglasses in a dark room as you're being interviewed to show you don't have a problem and you're not, uh, you're not doing anything wrong. And then you go out there and you kick the Knicks' ass. The sunglasses were incredible. What a great touch. I mean, it just is, what a oh. – Nothing screams innocence. Yeah, it's <laughs> almost like he said because because he had to know that the sunglasses indoors were were going to completely go against everything that his words were saying. Right, so it's it's almost like Jordan was like so defiant when he knew he was right about things that he was like, I'm going to make myself look as as like the antithesis of someone who doesn't like the antithesis of someone who doesn't have a problem just to show you how strong my words will be here. Like it's just it's it the sunglasses are are amazing. Also, like how how amazing is it? I know we've got a million stories of Jordan going out, but I feel like Jordan's like greatest feat is just the ability to to rebound after nights out. That's that's unbelievable how he's just able to go out till five in the morning and and do that kind of stuff and just be fine. Like there are some players who can do that and it and it today there are players who can do that and it just it blows my mind. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, if you that's, notice that's in the a, doc too, he shaves a couple hours off how late he was out. He oh was yeah, like, yeah, oh absolutely. Was, you got to do it, Rich. You got to you got to you got to hold the information yourself. You got to make it your story. <laughs> I was back by eleven, dude. You were on the road to get there. <laughs> he wasn't even there at eleven. He was on his way. Um, yeah, that that is man. But you're right. But like Fred's right. Like Michael did. Look, a lot of athletes can do this, right? You hear stories. Maybe we've even seen some people at times, you know, who are out late, and then the next day they're they're in there, they're in the arena, and they're kicking ass. Or sometimes they don't handle it so well. But to handle it on that level was almost more impressive to me that he could be that great, Michael. And and we know that he's had a bender the night before. Yeah, it reminds me of stories I heard about Iverson, and you know how he would really you know keep the candle burning on both ends and. Uh, but the one thing that I think the doc didn't really hit on enough was the gambling, late night gambling, you know, between games one and two, the stress of all the questions about it. He stunk it up in game three. Like he had what a lot of people don't realize. He had an awful game in game three and they won and they, they and he went out had 54 in game four and they wound up winning the series. But it's funny, like, you know, we, we've created this whole thing about Michael about how he you know he's the gold and everything and a lot of people don't realize he was capable of actually coming up short in situations where we expect him to just completely dominate but I think in that moment that game three that was probably something that really the stress had gotten to him and, and weighed on him to the point where he actually threw up a clunker and went three for 18 that was like John Starks in the uh yeah <laughs> In the, <laughs> the ninety four finals, I mean, if they lost, I mean, can you imagine how bad he would got roasted if they went down o three and he went three for eighteen? We might be looking at Michael in a different way. Obviously, they won the game and he came back and hit fifty four in game four and they won the series. But I think it's amusing that you know that they kind of glossed over the fact that you know when they returned Mike, to, to Mike, Washington, Mike, come Chicago. On, stop, stop. We know Mike never missed a shot, never missed a clutch <laughs> shot, never came up short in a big game. It's Mike. He's perfect. He's an angel. <laughs> Sent from basketball heaven to to just be perfect at everything. Of course, they didn't bring that up. Why would they do that? <laughs> that almost could have turned into his LeBron against the Mavs moment, I guess, if they lost, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a three of 18 
performance. I mean, I, again, I, I haven't seen that game, but I find it amazing that they were able to win that game with him shooting that poorly. I guess they played really good defense. And it was the else Knicks. Every game was a rock yeah. fight with that, that bunch, you know, you, you relying on John Starks for isolation buckets. You, <laughs> you're in a bad spot. Oh, to begin with. <laughs> oh, was, the, Starks, the Starks did dunk on Jordan and hold yes. and game three. Well, Even now two. was, was Jordan really there? He, he, he was in the he, frame. He, guys. He, he he moved up there. He moved in. There. <laughs> he, he had an option. He had an option to make a business decision. He didn't make one. Okay. You know, but you know one more thing about the gambling, um, the Atlantic City trip, which AC is pretty freaking far from New York. Like it's about two hours from New York. It's basically Philly. Um, the the thing is, you know, these games are starting at seven thirty p.m. Um, these dudes, Michael Jordan would not have been in his crib sleeping at 2 30, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, that's just not what these guys do. Like, he's going to be up anyway. He's going to be doing something at that time. So, like, a certain part of me is like, what are we really talking about? And again, it's like MVP, two-time champion. Like, the idea that this guy doesn't know how to manage winning basketball games or figuring out how to make sure he's ready to play um, seems a bit overblown, but at the same time, you know, the results dictate how people are going to react ultimately, right? Like you guys mentioned, he, he stunk it up, but they won, you know, and ultimately they won the series and the Knicks are still the Knicks. And, you know, <laughs> that's what it, that's what it ultimately boils down to for me. It's like, ah, come on, guys, it's the Knicks. Uh, he got to the free throw line 17 times. Maybe the refs helped him out, huh? Maybe the league couldn't mm. allow Michael to go down. Oh, three. Something people have to realize about athletes too is like, and Waz just alluded to it. They're just, they're night creatures. Athletes are like that. People who cover sports are like that because normally the way that normal people with nine to fives sleep is they design their sleep schedule so that they're peaking between nine and five. Cause that's when they have to be like mentally ready to go and do work. And so we have in the late morning and the early afternoon, we're good to go. And then we get tired. And it's like athletes have to peak between like 7 PM and, and 10 PM. It's a completely different type of life. So you're like the most physically revved up and mentally revved up that you could possibly be at like 10 PM. You're not going to sleep at 1130. You're just not doing that. It is, it's not, possible you you can't do that so guys end up staying staying out late and staying up late and it's just how they live and and like it's not it's not a flaw it's just the way that lifestyle kind of has to be when you you live that kind of you have to make it so that you peak at 7 to 10 p.m that's just kind of how how the body works and how our minds work god this next team i'm looking at this game three where he goes three of 18 they lost by 20 Oh my. <laughs> they scored 83 points and lost by 20. Oakley, 2 of 7. Starks, 2 of 7. Doc Rivers, 1 of 4. I'm sure he made the media laugh afterwards, though. Um, <laughs> that is the no, thing that drives uh, Waz and I crazy yeah, at these Clippers press conferences. Yeah. Back when we had sports guys. The, the volume <laughs> of laughter after every corny-ass doc joke. It's just like, really, dude? Oh, and, I it's, hate that. and it's jokes <laughs> really? where he is, he is actually clowning us, the media, where he's like, oh, yes. you know, if Kawhi ever comes out here, it's like, you have control over this, man. You can yes. get Kawhi out here no, whenever no, no. you want. He's, he goes, he goes, um, like, Dennis will come out. Dennis, the, the head of PR for the Clippers. Yeah. He'll come out and, and say, 
Yeah, Kawhi be out in a f- in, in a few minutes, and Doc will go a few minutes, huh? And everybody goes, ha, 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 ha. Two hours later. Like, literally comes out two hours later. And I'm like, why are you idiots laughing about this? This isn't funny. Or there was the one time. And and you know what, Zach? This is, is, and I know we're on a digression here, but this is a personal thing for me because (laughs) I generally don't say shit at the scrums because I'm just like, I don't feel like doing this. And then one day I asked him about a substitution uh, pattern. Oh, I remember remember this. I I remember this. That I knew I was right about, and he just lied to me. He did. He he outright lied to you. He just said, nope, it never happened. He's like, oh, that's actually not how we do it. And And then then I was like, all right, cool, whatever. I just took my L like a man and kept it pushing. And, you know, our friend uh, Sabrina Merchant afterwards, she's like, I'm pretty sure you were right about that. I I knew I wasn't fucking crazy, man. (laughs) And and ever since Doc freaking straight up lied to my face, I've been sick of his little media joke. <laughs> you should have came back with his performance in Game Three. Yeah, now we got that armed, right? Oh, you will next time. Yeah. I can't <laughs> lie about how shitty you are in that game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. What do we expect out of episodes seven and eight? Now, I believe we're getting to the retirement of back in '93, and we're getting to the playoff run in '98. So. Fred, like, what are you, what are you anticipating happens in terms of? Are we going to get a lot of baseball, Mike? I want to see. I just want to see Jordan talk about the the ninety three retirement. It's still like really knowing why he did it. It remains one of the greatest mysteries in basketball over the last thirty years. So I'm not anticipating he's going to provide an answer because he never really has cleanly said. This is why I did it. Right. But I just want to see if he says anything new or adds any more context or anything like that, because it's just one of the one of the greatest mysteries that we have in the league. And and it, he's he has provided new information for certain things or or at least new perspective for certain things throughout the doc. So him actually and, and he's been really good during that interview. He he seems to be a lot more honest and, and more candid than than we've seen in any any real Jordan interview in a at really least, long time. At least time. better than I anticipated for sure. For sure. I thought it I thought it was gonna be different than it was from that aspect. And like, yes, him having final say on stuff that they run and don't run definitely makes it less, you know, it's not straight journalism at all. But at the same time, you know what? It's it's great to see really good interviews, candid interviews with important people who don't often do really great, uh, candid interviews. So, so just seeing him, if he says anything new about that, like that, I would, I'm fascinated by that entire topic. Yeah. Rich, what about for you? What are you, what are you hoping to see in the next two episodes? Yeah, I would like to see some baseball stuff for sure, because I think they're about to move into the playoffs on that 98 timeline. And I got to say, watching that all-star game, just like looking at the players who were on his team, the East looked like it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's not like a new thing. Sean Kemp didn't get you. He was starting, wasn't he? I think so. I think he, yeah, I he think was. He was still slim, though. He, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. He was yeah, but we know why he was slim. He wasn't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I think I'd like to see, you know, something about his base, his baseball, just because it's such an unprecedented decision to make. I wonder if uh, conspiracy, uh, conspiracy, Bill Simmons, that that question will be brought up about the. Uh, 
the David Stern fake uh, right. suspension that was going on at that point. But yeah, I think those are the things I know. Uh, I think Jackie McMullen talked about this. I would like to know how much he was kind of paying attention to the bulls at that point, because there is the famous uh, Scotty Pippen refusing to play on the last play when they drew up the play for yeah. Tony Kukoc against the, against the Knicks. But yeah, I, I would say that that's the main thing I'm looking forward to. And also they did tease the, uh, the fight with Steve Kerr that uh, hopefully yeah, they go yeah, into yeah. detail. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the all-star game. Cause I forgot to bring that up. Um, I got it. Like, look, I, I know the interview was done when it was done and everything, but I legitimately like gasped when I saw Kobe. It, I mean, after what happened mm-hmm. in the January, like it was, I don't know how it was for you guys. But like I, it felt like I was seeing a ghost and that's how it and was. I think you and I have talked about this. Like it's felt like that when I see his dad. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, I don't <laughs> feel that when I see Jerry yeah. Krause or anything like, but it's when I see his dad in the dock, I feel like I'm seeing a ghost. When I see Kobe, you know, last Sunday, I was like, Oh my God. Like I just, it just brought all that stuff back. Yeah. If it's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> Because Kobe made the all-star team in his second year, which is the all-star game that's that's um, covered here. Yeah. And he basically made every single all-star game thereafter. So from 1998 to when did Kobe uh, retire? To 2016. Yeah. He was in literally every all-star game. And, you know, Kobe's – his his celebrity and just his excellence on the court, like the guy felt omnipresent. If you were somebody – who cared about the NBA even a little bit. Like, Kobe was just there. Like, chatter about Kobe, arguments about Kobe, um, you know, for better or for worse. Like, Kobe just felt like this constant presence. So the idea that the guy's gone is still, you know, something that I'm wrestling with. So when, you know, he pops up on the screen and, you know, it's Kobe being Kobe. Like, he's talking about his favorite thing, which is hoops and Mike. Right. You know? Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's so jarring. And the cool thing is, is listening to Mike talk about Kobe. Just it, like just Mike's appraisal. So much shit in the locker room. Oh my room. God. Oh my Maker God. Boy. That was fun. <laughs> he was like, he, he like, he was already appraising the guy's game. And he, I think he talked about it at the funeral yeah. where he was like, yo, I was avoiding this kid, you know, but he stayed on me. And I grew in appreciation for what he was trying to do, which is basically like, yo, I want to work just as hard as you, you know, um, just just the fact that they're so inextricably linked forever is it, it was kind of cool to see that. But, yeah, to hear Mike say, man, this dude, he don't let the game come to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, if you want the wow, ball, you better go rebound. <laughs> like, wow, that's that's just incredible. Yeah, Michael, what did you what did you like about that that whole All Star game? Because it was a great way to to kick everything off in that episode. Also, before Mike goes, Antoine Walker being skinny that was jarring. Oh come on, that's <laughs> that was that unnecessary. Was, that was, I was like, yeah, wow, man, that's crazy skinny Twan. Wow, I forgot <laughs> about that. Upsetting. Uh, I think just the fact that you know Kobe spent so much of his early career uh, just mimicking Mike and just wanting to be him and like from walk to talk the inflection of his voice like everything the fadeaway jumper I mean he wanted so badly to be Michael Jordan and you understand why you know when you think about uh, Kobe he's always seeking excellence like he's always talking about muses and things that inspire him and I think for all the people who get into these arguments about who's the best ever and everything. Think of all the people that Kobe had access to just from his dad being in the league and just being a student of the game. 
who did he want to mimic? Who did he want to copy? You know, uh, I'd say like, you know, sometimes it's like he put Mike on the copy machine and then out came Kobe. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the ink is not it's not as clear. It's not as not as good. But the image is still there. You know exactly what he was trying to be. And I think it just speaks a lot to to um, to 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 Mike that, you know, that took me to Kobe, that that Mike was the guy he, he chose. But then the Mike that he saw it in Kobe, he saw what he tried to emulate, but then respected the fact that he did a good job of it. Like yeah. he, he got, he got the moves down. You know, I think one of the best things Jordan ever said, he didn't say it in the documentary, but he was talking about guys. He loved to take on one-on-one and how he felt he could beat, you know, everybody, Jerry West, whatever, you name all the, all the great uh, guards that play. And he's like, well, the only guy probably give me trouble was Kobe because he stole all my moves. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and it was just that, that level of excellence and just, seeing how those guys pushed each other, uh, you know, even, you know, from Kobe pushing Mike as an executive in, in his post career, I think that that speech that he gave, um, you know, at Kobe's funeral, I just thought that was, that was the ultimate win. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if, I mean, it's, it's a shame that, you know, like I said, we don't always give her flowers to people while they're alive. I'm sure Kobe understood how much Mike respected him, but for him to go up there and give that speech at his funeral. Yeah. I mean, that was like that, that, that real pure victory. I think it, it probably trumped any of the five championships he won that Mike gave him that stamp of approval. Like you're my man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Waz, what do you, what are you hoping to see out of next week? Yo, funny enough, man, I, I don't remember a single thing about the Eastern conference playoffs, except for the fact that Indiana gave them hell and yeah. Travis best figured very prominently in that series. I just remember Travis best being like a headache. So I'm, lo- I'm looking so at, I'm looking I'm at looking the road. I'm looking at the road to the playoffs. Spoiler <laughs> alert for anyone who doesn't want the 98 playoffs spoiled for you. But, uh, <laughs> but he, in the first round, he faced that fraud, John Calipari beat okay. those nets, the 43 win nets, <laughs> yeah. that, fraud of a, that fraud of a coach. Oh my God. There's a re- everyone. He's not coming back to the NBA. There's a reason he left and never came back. He's not a good NBA coach. All right. Um, then he faced a Hornets team led by Glenn Rice, which is a pretty good team, but still, like you're talking, Glenn Rice, Anthony Mason, David Wesley, Bobby Phils, rest in peace, Vladdy Divots, Matt Geiger, like those are the main guys on the on that team. Um, Del Curry as well. Oh, maybe we'll get some kids. Steph, who knows? Um, Vernon Maxwell was on that team. That can't be right. Jeez. Uh, and so we get that. And then in the, as was mentioned in the, in the third round, we're getting uh, the Indiana Pacers. Um, and that was a, that was a tightly contested seven game series. So I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb and say the first two rounds will be glossed over. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get a lot of those first two rounds, but the, that, that I seven mean, game the Pacers series, the Pacers went seven games, went seven man, games like- and it was tightly contested. Like you had, Every game except game five was single digits. You had uh, three games decided by three points or less. Game seven was decided by five points. Um, that was a that was a highly highly uh, competitive series for sure. Yeah, you had the the Reggie buzzer beater in one of those games. Reggie yeah. putting the push off buzzer Dance beater. Around. That right? was great. I was so pissed off about that. Um, Eleven year old me was just like, "What a freaking cheater!" <laughs> <laughs> uh michael what do you want to see out of next week you know i don't think we're going to get it um because i think that uh the episode seven is going to be more about you know you know the difficulty of being his teammate but i would love to see more on his dad and that relationship and just maybe if that's what pushed him to retirement yeah i'd like to get a full more a full examination of just how 
you know, traumatic that was for him and just how with all the pressure that, you know, they've been, they, you know, built up all the pressure and everything weighing on him that eventually like that may have been what just broke them all together. Um, you know, a lot was made about, you know, the fact that when he came back, he wore 45 because his dad only saw him in 23. And I just would like to, I would like to get a little more of his family, you know, cause I think, you know, the fact that his mom convinced him to go to Nike you know, to, to have that meeting, you know, that obviously changed the sneaker game yeah. forever. His brother was so and influential with him in basketball, yeah, right? Yeah. Larry made him a competitor. And I remember at his Hall of Fame speech, he just mentioned his family and just the role that they played. Uh, I'd like to see if we ever get in touch with that that side of Mike. And also, I doubt if we ever will, but as his, his kids and his and his ex-wife, I mean, just yeah. what, what role they played. Because it's great to see, you know, if you're trying to paint a whole picture in 10 episodes – Let's go ahead and go all out and give me the whole picture. Yeah, I yeah, I think that I think that's a that would be fantastic. Um yeah, I man. I uh thinking about it like I I wonder if we'll see him cry in the interview. If they if they, you know, they have to I mean, I'm sure they have to bring up his dad, right? They have to bring that whole story up that, and I'm sure that they've uh, according to Jason Hare, uh the director like Mike, at least when I heard an interview on Levitard's show a week or two ago, uh, and he had just finished episode eight, Michael has apparently not told him to take anything out. He's given him notes, but never told him to take anything out, according to the director. Um, I got to wonder just like how much of how much footage of that conversation and what they've asked him about that will actually make it in and if we'll see him cry. Because it, it's, like, mean, it's like you said, not, too. Right? He, he is kind of like a ghost, too, when you see him in the locker room after they win all those i guess the first three championships yeah. his dad is always in the background always there, there with, yeah with the suit yeah, and, on and, and, and he was the guy who spoke out you know for um, on behalf of mike when he boycotted the media in the nick series i mean he's the guy that went up there and did the interview for him on, on yeah. his behalf so they clearly had a really incredible tight bond and and i and i also i'm sure that his family played a big role in the image that he was trying to portray and, sure. you know, in some ways, the gambling probably was a rebellion, you know, from all of that, that the pressure that his family had put on him to sort of be this model citizen when he knew inside that it, there was a dark side that, that he just couldn't contain. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned his mom. Um, and look, I'm I'm not doing any reporting here. I don't think she's had any work done. How does she look younger than her son? That Black blows me away crack. every time and I see him. Yeah, but his, he's cracking. Michael, he's <laughs> cracking. So that can't be true. He had a hard life, though. Yeah, I mean, he's true. Um, a lot of drinking and gambling and cigar smoking. Yeah. Also, also, you know, his his dad looked pretty old at the time. Sure. You know, no sure. offense to, to to Papa Jordan, but right. like, is, is he? I think he's he's aging the same way his dad did. His mom's That's fair, yeah. His, she's reverse aging. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, sure. I think someone said that she's got that that Steve Kerr found a youth. Somehow looking younger the older they get. Um, HGH? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, wow. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding, Bleep guys. that. You kids. Bleep that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it next week, but I'm interested in the baseball aspect of it and, and the comeback. Um, just a simple fact, like, and look, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be the baseball nerd or the baseball woke guy or whatever, but the idea that you could not play baseball since high school and then go in there in your 30s and hit 200 in double A, is insane. Very impressive. It's insane. It is. Like it's it, really that is that's truly insane. Like how good he was at that, even though he wasn't good. Yeah, I'm sure they're I not mean, going to spend a lot of time on that in episode seven. But that fascinates me. That whole thing fascinates me. It's fun. Did you when you talked to Falk? Did you ask him about like? Because I asked him a, a little while ago about why he boycotted um, 
Sports Illustrated because, you know, they, yeah. they had the Baggett Michael thing on the cover and he wound up shutting it down. And I remember uh, Falk was explaining to me why that happened because he was so furious because, you know, again, he never he hadn't played baseball since since, you know, since high school. And then he's going out there and he's hitting 200. So he's not a scrub. He's just not great. Right. And he was actually playing halfway decent. And for them, them to have that that cover, he was so hurt by that because he actually was doing something that was against the grain and he was challenging himself in a way that most people would never do it. No one would ever leave their comfort zone the way he did to try to pursue a dream at that age and that stage in their life or career. Yeah. And the fact that they would try to belittle him when it actually for, for Michael, he thought it was an, an inspirational thing. He thought he was inspiring people by doing that, by really chasing your dream at that stage in your life. And that's why he took it so personally and why he's never done a conversation with Sports Illustrated ever since. And it's, it, you talk about being petty. Talk about t- <laughs> 26 or how 27 years later he has not spoken to that magazine yeah well no i uh, and again he was phenomenal in the interview you'll hear on sirius xm nba radio on thursday morning no i didn't get to ask him about that i literally asked him two questions in 30 minutes <laughs> yeah i asked him what did he see to make him want to sign michael jordan and i asked him if there was any truth to the idea that michael was considering the knicks in 1996 those are the only two questions i got to ask him in 30 minutes with three questions asked total. <laughs> If Jordan were really petty, he would do an interview with Maven right now. Has that would to, be right? like the yeah, ultimate that's petty. The big be like, after all this time, we wiped <laughs> them all out. And he'd do it on exactly. TikTok. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is prominently displayed as the first thing in their Twitter bio. And granted, Twitter's dumb as well, but that's the first thing in Sports Illustrated's bio right now is their TikTok handle. So <laughs> I, I think Jordan won that battle. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Basket Buds. Check out Rich Hoffman, Fred Katz, Michael Lee, Wazi Lambert, and myself on The Athletic. Uh, theathletic.com slash back-to-back. Is that the that's the link we got? That's the link we got. You get a 90-day free trial of The Athletic. You get to comment on this podcast. You want to leave comments? We have that on the app if you're a subscriber. You can also click uh, follow on this podcast or any of the podcasts. Uh, tampering, Hoops Adjacent, No Dunks, uh, all that stuff, all the team-specific ones. And you get updates, uh, you get notifications whenever the uh, you get a new episode. So for everybody, uh, thank you for listening to uh, this podcast. Thanks for subscribing to The Athletic. If you haven't done that, please do that. And uh, let's uh, keep staying safe and staying the same together. Everybody.